2: Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
3: Nobody builds 5G
2: like Verizon builds
3: 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement
4: All right, it's film study with Ken McCusick. We're still getting through this bye week, but we're going to look back one more time at Week Nine, the loss to the Steelers, twenty-three sixteen. Ken McCusick, how are you doing?
1: Life's good, Josh. How about you?
4: I'm doing well. Um, this is going to be a fun show because we get to talk about the offense, and you know how it goes. No matter why the team lost, the blame is always on the offense. It's always on the quarterback. Lots of talk about the quarterback. Lots of talk about John Harbaugh this week. Uh, three, and a lot of talk about Lamar Jackson. So this is the fun show this week is the offense.
1: Probably true of of the two. Certainly the defense not being able to get off the field on third down is kind of a hopeless topic. A lot of things are wrong. I, I don't know why it is in general, though, because I've always found the entire time I've been a Ravens fan, watching defensive football is a hell of a lot of fun. when you When you can suffocate the other team and get them to a the point where they're giving up or, or your team is able to do that to the other team. That is really fun to watch. All right. you know, the Tennessee game was tremendous fun. Buffalo, great game. Yes,
4: but here's the problem. The way the Ravens' defense has played this year has been extremely boring. There, there's Ye- Exciting defense is they get the pressure. They get the sacks. They get, get the, the turnovers. turnovers. They make yeah. the moves. They, You make it feel like they won the game for you. Mm-hmm. The Ravens have been... Pretty bland and boring. Even though their stats have been okay, it's not been a fun, exciting defense. Right,
1: I I agree, and and it's uh it's it's been a lot less fun to watch against some good offenses the last three weeks. It makes you worry about how the Ravens could get it back together and recover to 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 put together a playoff run if they were able to do that. So uh, (laughs) we'll talk a little bit
4: about that, right? I yeah, I think you might be the only person still talking about a playoff run, (laughs) but uh, we will have to get to that because it is. Now it's uh, very much the talk, and we're going to have two weeks of this, so the timing for the bye week, as much as the team needs rest, for the conversation going on in Baltimore, it comes at the worst time, coming after three losses, straight losses. And the season very much is in doubt right now.
1: Yeah, I, it's it's in doubt. It's not time to give up, in my opinion. I, I want to, the team to continue on with their best players rather than with their best, best developmental projects, which at some point – We'll have to switch to that. We'll have to start hoping that, yeah, they put in Flacco. They put in I sorry, they put in Jackson. They put in a, a, probably four or five guys on defense that are developmental prospects uh, to try and get them more playing time. We want to see what Anthony Averitt can do. We want to see what Chuck Clark can do after he's been sitting for a while. Timmy Williams, uh, Tyus Bowser, yeah, if, 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 Zach Sealer. I mean, those are some guys we really want to see some snaps from in the second half of this year. If the year is lost. But for right now, we want the best team on the field and I think right now that needs Joe Flacco and not uh Lamar Jackson.
4: Well, and we've gotta to get to that because I've been called on section three thirty six this week, I was just being accused of being a Joe Flacco lover because I've been complaining for weeks about the fact that I feels like the rhythm is broken every time Lamar goes out there and that I feel like it's totally screwing with Joe every time he goes out there. So and I've also noticed that when the Ravens get in these holes, like this past week, they tend to say, all right, let's just Joe, let's just run with Joe and let's not put Lamar out there. And Lamar will, will stay on the bench more when the team's trying to come back. Yeah, I think so, that's
1: true. I mean, if you're trying to run no huddle or whatever, you don't want to be making substitutions at all. They, right. The Ravens actually found that out against the Steelers when the umpire was slowing the game down because every time they'd make a substitution of any sort, didn't have to be Lamar Jackson, could be a receiver or whatever the Steelers could talked to them before the game about making sure they had time to substitute after such plays, and it cost them a lot of time in that game in the fourth quarter.
4: Right, right, and that's something that we've seen other teams use to their advantage too, that did definitely hurt the Ravens, that the, the swapping of people was slowing the whole thing down. But with just Joe versus Lamar, I felt like, all right, I've been watching the Ravens. When they get behind, they don't use Lamar, so my thought was, okay, going into this, must-win game with the Bengals, season on the brink, got to do it all down that we would just say, all right, the, let's not try out Lamar this week unless it's really necessary or something. Let's just win this game and let's give Joe the ball. But John Harbaugh's comments this week have been different, where he's been saying he wants to see more of Lamar, and then he went on to talk about how they've even tinkered with the idea of giving Lamar a full set in a game. Well, I think, I think that's setting up
1: and managing expectations of the fan base for them making a change down the stretch if the, if the season gets away. Uh, and, and by the way, the, the usage of Lamar so far, I think, has been pretty good in terms of getting him into situations where he can help the team, particularly to pick up a first down on third and two or three, which seems to be the automatic Lamar Jackson situation, is put him in the shotgun on, on third and two or three. Now, it didn't work out when they were at the four-yard line this last week against the Steelers. We'll get to that a little bit later. But I think in general it's been a pretty good strategy for the Ravens. He's done a good job of converting first downs. Uh, you know, They want Flacco's arm in the game when it's third and longer than that in order to try and uh, throw for the first down, make sure the ball goes to the sticks, make sure the ball's on target with a higher probability, all right. of the things that go along with
4: that. Right, make sure when you need 15 he throws it 11 or exactly, four, exactly, <laughs> and try right. to let the other guy pick up 11. Yep, exactly. Um, all right, so that's something... I just found the comments by Harbaugh really strange because it makes sense if you're saying it next week, but here where you're kind of uh, nose to the grindstone, got to pull this win out, it seems weird to me to say, more Lamar. Like, I don't well, feel like more Lamar is the key to winning.
1: I, I think... I I, I think...
4: The amount of Lamar is probably fairly optimal right now, but the
1: way they are advancing Lamar's knowledge and ability to, to control the huddle, to, to call a play seems to be good. We heard some other comments from James Urban today in terms of how Lamar is progressing in terms of being able to relay a play call in the huddle. That was a very large concern at the start of the season when Lamar Jackson was literally talking at an interview about looking in the mirror to practice play-calling. And now I understand he's practicing play-calling on the sideline. It's always going to be reported that he's making all sorts of progress in that regard. Right. But he, he couldn't help but make progress from where he was, of course. And and when he goes on the field, he looks like he knows the plays that he is likely to be assigned to do. When you get him to but a full series... But they're simple. Than,
4: they're simple. Yes, that's right. Hmm? So, I, am I being too quick to uh judge Lamar because I I give Joe the excuse of his rhythms being messed up well Lamar's never had the chance to build any rhythm because he's in for one play off um but I'm concerned that we haven't seen anything we've seen two passes from Lamar one that looked good that didn't mean anything and one under pressure that was horrible
1: you're talking about the last couple of weeks. Or yeah, so. he's last... thrown he's thrown a few more passes than that. Okay. He went four for five uh, in one of these games recently. Had a touchdown. That was a, that was the Carolina game. Um, it, I'm, you know, it will his time will come. Is all I can say. I, I would be really interested to know how this next week the reps are divided in practice. We will not hear that. Okay, but I'm wondering if you know they they switch in Lamar for half the reps instead or or for You know, sixty percent of the reps at some point instead of instead of uh, you know probably twenty or thirty percent of the reps. So that'll be interesting to know exactly how that uh, how that works out. Uh, You know, everything is not perfect on the Lamar Jackson front. The fumble with Edwards is a very bad thing to happen. They they were lucky they were bailed out on that, but it was it was a run pass option play. It looked like he and Edwards were not on the same page in terms of who was actually keeping it. There you go. And, and so that was not good. Um, the decision on the stretch was not good. and we don't know if that was a option that Jackson was taking, but it, it's a it's a pretty basic understanding of football thing when he got to the line of scrimmage. If he has the ability to audible, that he should have been doing something different than he was. Again, we'll talk about that later. we well, we,
4: we want to get to a lot of this. well, that's the yeah, uh, that's the four yard play. Yeah, that's right. the four yard well, let's let's get to these big uh, red zone because that was the big problem with the when we talk about the Ravens offense on Sunday the big problem was the red zone
1: that's right so it's, it's a problem on both sides of the ball uh, they, they, they allowed three out of four red zone touchdowns to the Steelers they had the same number of red zone opportunities as the Steelers four but they only converted one of their own and that really was the difference of the game in every way, shape, and form. You can toss the extra point in there for one more, but those two, those two uh, failed touchdowns—the difference was worth eight points, obviously in the game, or approximately that—and uh, right. could have given, could have given the Ravens, uh, you know, a much better chance to win the game. We won't use the as John Miller used to call it, the fallacy of the predestined play, right. and say they definitely would have won the game, but they would have been in a better position
4: sure. had they
1: gotten three out of four.
4: All right. Well, let's talk about the one that. Everyone in Baltimore saw the wide-open Lamar Jackson as a wide receiver. We've talked yeah. about the idea of we would love to see him go out as a wide receiver or Joe go out as a wide receiver, use the extra quarterback on the field, and we saw Lamar go out. Everyone saw Lamar wide open except for Joe.
1: That's that's right. So that,
4: that obviously very frustrating, and I – I you know, the the –
1: Always aspersions have been cast about Joe Flacco, about his ability to read the defense is not particularly good at the line of scrimmage. This was a case where I think there were pre snap clues that he could have picked up on. You know, the whole town is ready to roast him on this, but Jackson went in motion on the play from left to right. It was long motion, so that means outside to outside. He's not going tight end. To just the outside on one side, or he's not going from the outside to tight end on the other side, which is oftentimes that's short motion. But he he went long from wide receiver to wide receiver. When he passed Flacco, the t- couple things happened. Actually, when he when he just got into the middle of the you know the the scrimmage formation, uh, he, things happened. Um, Joe Hayden is in the secondary. He reaches out his arm and points apparently at Terrell Edmonds, who is number thirty four. He's the rookie safety. He was drafted in the first round by the Steelers. And I thought my interpretation of that is Hayden is watching Jackson go in motion and he's pointing to uh, Edmonds and telling him, that's your guy. Right. All right. Now, Flacco had to have seen that. Now, I don't know exactly how Flacco looks at the field. You know, I, I've always been told. Great quarterbacks is like an easy eye puzzle. You're looking into a mirror. You want your widest angle vision on to pick up the little clues that you can. And then that will allow you to change your progression order if you want to. Now, basic football people will tell you you go from either shortest to longest or you go from left to right or right to left. One of those three in order to make it uh, as easy as possible to go through your progressions. But there have to be rules on when you break that. And if you think you see a guy breaking open because he, the the other team guy hasn't figured out defensively what's going on, then you take that advantage. Now, Flacco could, could have looked at that and said, "Okay, no movement, wall motion, zone defense." That's a very practical, very very reasonable interpretation of what might have happened. It's still worth the initial read if you think there is a chance they have missed it, because you you. Uh, I know the field is short. They don't have a lot of distance to work with. They presumably obviously don't have a lot of time in the pocket. But it's a very quick read on Jackson if you change your progression from right to left to see if he's really covered or open. Right.
4: And I just... I, it was a failure on Flacco's part. I, I, ja- Jackson just not a in, good read at the line of scrimmage. Right. Jackson afterwards said that they've practiced that play, but he's always just been a distraction, that they've never mm-hmm. actually practiced throwing it to him. Um, I was wondering if even he's ever ran that route in practice or if he just ran into an open spot of the field or, uh, I mean, he, he seemed to know
1: what he was doing and he was calling
4: for the football. So those
1: are two things that tell me he probably knew what he was doing. If it were Burt Jones, that ball would have been a ball been thrown towards him. Sure. Yeah.
4: He was, he was calling for that. He was calling Mm -hmm. for the ball. Like, like it was a pickup game. Like you go out and play flag football, jumping, waving your arms around because you're wide open and you can't believe you're so wide open. There you go. Um, how was the offensive line during that play? Because there was lots of talk of, well, Joe's been rushed all game, and maybe he didn't have a time to get to the progression of checking the fourth guy, which would be Lamar.
1: It, it was a quick release on the play. So this was on the third and five.
4: I do have there as, as being pressure on that play. and I, And then my other thought would be kind of all of, I would. I'd give Joe the benefit of all the plays mm-hmm. leading up to that, that if the line's collapsing early leading up to that, that he's going to try to do a hurry up, and he might not progress through all the way to Lamar, especially if he's never passed it to Lamar before.
1: Okay, there, there was a shared pressure two plays before, but otherwise the drive was pretty clean in terms of okay. of giving him time. Uh, he had two ample times and space opportunities, then, the, then he had a, a, a pressure, and then the, the last play on third and five, he had another
4: pressure, so... Uh, right. You know, you you look no at ma- it. No matter normal. what, right? So, no matter what, we got to put it on Joe that he didn't see the wide open guy.
1: That's I. I think based on what I saw on that play, and admittedly, it's not fair for me to do this. It's twenty twenty hindsight, all of that. But I thought there was enough visual evidence for Joe to change to check Lamar first as his read. Now that may have meant that any kind of pass, a quick pass, that's a it's a quick hitter to a tight end or a, or the, the throw he made to John Brown, which was completely covered, um, you know, that, that then is not going to be available to Right. Him. Right. So that's, that's the risk you take. But if, if he's, if, if he really knows what all the five routes are, then he, then he, what he needs to say is, okay, Jackson's number one. And this number four guy is now number two. Sure, you know, so, sure. so the, Cause Go that's back. the other route right. that takes time to develop and I can still hit him. So it, it, I think, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's Aaron Rodgers, if it's Tom Brady immediately, those, those five receivers just kind of change slotting. Like you, you'd see them change on a board. Right. And all of a sudden he knows in his head who, who one, two and maybe three are, If the, maybe three is going to be throw the ball away. Right. Another, another point on this play, it is freaking fine to take a sack on that play. Go ahead. It doesn't matter. You're at the five yard line. True. Damn it. True. You, you get time. a 15
4: yard sack. It's an easy, it's still an easy uh, field goal. You're right. Take the time to get it right. Don't yeah. try to force it. Um, all right, and I, I know the Ravens aren't practicing this week because of their bye. They're actually taking the week off, so they'll practice next week. And I hope that the one of the first things the offense does is run this play and throw it to Lamar. Because if, if Joe has never thrown the ball to Lamar in practice, then, okay, he might not even think about it during the game. Mm-hmm. Show, do it in practice. Let Joe see that Lamar knows how to catch the ball. Right.
1: Some trust would be appropriate there. I mean, honestly – they could just go out back and play some play some catch right. for, for that kind of thing. But exactly, just play, play the game. True,
4: but this isn't. The, forget about the conspiracy theories. This isn't Joe doesn't want Lamar to look good, so he's not passing it to Lamar.
1: No, I, I really don't believe that. I, I I don't. I mean, there are reasons maybe why Joe Flacco wouldn't want
4: Lamar on the field that you could you could conceive
1: if you're a conspiracy theorist. But I, I don't. I don't really believe that's the problem. I, I think. Uh, right now if i were joe flacco i would be i would at least be conceding the fact that lamar jackson adds some value on in certain plays and i would try and be as open to allowing that and the comments i would make with regard to to you know how he's breaking down rhythm by taking snaps out of the shotgun when He's, when joe's on the on the side I would I would basically shut the hell up about that right now and I would do everything possible to make myself useful on the field including you know moving backwards from the line of scrimmage accepting you know being in a position to accept the lateral that sort of stuff so you know I'm joe's handling of this so far I would say he has not set a great on-field example part of that may have been how what he was coached to do uh, you know we're going to talk about this right. later in the show, Ed but personality. I just personality Freaking believe it could be, and and I just cannot freaking believe they just started doing something in week nine that they did.
4: Sure, sure, I can understand that. Uh, let's get to the other uh, big red zone issue, and this is also involving Jackson on the stretch. was this the four yard line. Yeah, so four yard line, third and two, and and that's
1: a that's a play. If you look on the website, you can see the pictures of the thing. The the Steelers had a nickel defense in, which which for starters tells you all they've got is six heavies on the field. So They had two inside linebackers, one of them was Vince Williams, I forget who the other one was, might have been Bostic. They had two outside linebackers, T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree, who were not Bud Dupree in particular is not a huge guy or anything, so you know he can he can be moved. Um, and then they had two uh, defensive linemen, Hayward and Tuit, who are both quite good, but still can easily be moved by double teams, like any you know big lineman can be. Um, and the Ravens had their basic five linemen, and they had Hurst motioning into the backfield at the snap. Now, first of all, you can run that play differently. If Jackson sees that lineup, sees that the Steelers didn't change out of the nickel, the umpire has finally gotten his hell, gotten the hell off the football and allowing the Ravens to run the play, go ahead and audible to to a, um, a quarterback sneak. And you can run it either way, whichever way he's more comfortable. Run up to the line of scrimmage and do it, or continue to run out of the shotgun, which might have some additional deception value. And then just snowplow right ahead, because you've got opportunities for two double teams on the big guys. You had you would have had Illuminor taking Dupree on the left, and, and motioning through the backfield was Hurst. He did a fine job eliminating T.J. Watt. And at that point, you're going to put Jackson in a position where space is going to be created, those linebackers are probably going to get washed, and there's going to be an excellent chance for Jackson just plow ahead, probably for the touchdown. But... Uh, Almost certainly for the first down. And if he didn't make it, let's say he didn't and he gets a yard or a yard and a half or whatever it might be, sets you up for yet another quarterback sneak on fourth down that you can call in the huddle on third down. So you can just say QB sneak and then conditional QB sneak, effectively, in the huddle and, and run them both and get the first down. If this were Flacco in the game, I think, I think he could have done that. I think they probably would have been more careful about what defensive players they had in the game. The thing that also would have been nice and not tremendously valuable, but of some value would have been if the Steelers wanted to get their proper personnel on the field, they'd have had to call timeout. So you'd at least force them to use a resource like that. And then you still might, might they might not be able to stop it on fourth down. So,
4: and uh, go ahead. We, we talked, about, this, is, this is funny. This is a situation you and I had this conversation about a play like this just a couple weeks ago where we were talking about, running Lamar on a a third and short and then if and calling in that huddle on third down calling a QB sneak and that you could even call it to on we're going to hurry up on fourth down do the QB sneak but Joe's going to come back there yeah that's right so you have both players available right because they're both on the field so it's not like you're going to try to do a QB sneak with Lamar being a little smaller it's you had Joe still on the field so you could have easily called this and uh, we've even had this conversation
1: yeah, so it's, it's it definitely is nothing that they should have not been thinking about. It's fairly obvious. But but I want to look at it a different way, too, is is when you run a stretch with Lamar Jackson. Okay, Lamar Jackson's elusive, but they had a nickel defense on the field. So I'm going to tell you right now that the best the golden rule of running against a nickel is you want to run downhill. Okay, when when they're playing a lighter lineup, you want to run downhill, hit the hole as quickly as possible, get to level two, make somebody miss. Make a big play out of it. In this case, there's only four yards to get, right. so you don't even have to do that. But, but getting to the middle of the field is, uh, quickly is what's really important about running into the nickel. Uh, the, the running a stretch play down here is more difficult because the defense only has 14 yards to protect going back. So there is no deep safety that safety can can you know follow Jackson and he's he's only going to be 7 or 8 yards from the play to start with and he's going to be able to, to have a better chance to run him down on the sideline and, and just everything is tougher about trying to run the you know any kind of stretch play or any kind of look for gap play with right. with Jackson bouncing it to the outside and of course it 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 did fail in this particular case so we've got 2020 20 hindsight I, I grew up with a guy who was playing Major League Baseball and playing shortstop for the Blue Jays at the time, though he moved around and played a few few other teams in the, in the Major Leagues, Alfredo Griffin. When he would come to the plate, Brooks Robinson was doing the games announcing then. He used to say, you know, Alfredo Griffin's weakness was the fastball, and I'm paraphrasing so far. If you throw him a breaking ball, you're just doing him a favor. And this is exactly what the Ravens did. They threw a breaking ball to the Steelers and gave them a chance with Jackson's... Uh, stretch to get him taken down for a loss or no gain which would force the field goal they did them a huge favor and whether or not they would have gotten on one down is maybe in question whether or not they would have gotten on two downs I'll take that bet every day and uh, you know it's just I do not understand the choices that they made there offensively
4: right it seems like they try when when they're giving Jackson the ball to run they try to do the stretch and get to the outside a lot Uh, which makes sense because he's got speed and he's looking for that hole. But when you only need four yards or two yards at this point, it seems a little odd to try to get more when even if you broke something, the most you could get is four. So it's not like you put four
1: is a touchdown. So that is the maximum payoff. So I understand. I I, I do understand in that sense. I just thought uh, of of the ways you can not score a touchdown there, the Ravens picked one of the most effective ways to not score a
4: touchdown. Right. They had easy options. They tried to make it difficult. Um all right I guess it's Steelers game so everyone's uh thinking differently everyone's trying to outsmart each other so we had some different formations on Sunday
1: Yeah different you know is a is an interesting word of this first one I want to talk about and there's pictures out on the website I encourage you to follow along when you when you can and take a take a read out there but the first one is the Lewis split wide play and and again this was Lewis Split wide and ineligible. Let's, uh, remind people who are listening what that means. There's, there's seven people on the line of scrimmage for the offense. That's every play. Okay, the middle five, it doesn't matter where the center is snapping the ball from, but the middle five of your seven guys on the line of scrimmage are ineligible. And so are any players who have numbers in the 50s, 60s, or 70s who do not declare themselves eligible. But in any case, Lewis lined up split Wide to the left, and outside of him, and also on the line of scrimmage, was Joe Flacco. That immediately made Lewis ineligible to be a receiver on the play. They had only four linemen tight to the line of scrimmage. They had a tight end in there also set up. And those four guys then have a harder job time block getting the play blocked up. It did end up working for a 12-yard gain that, that Jackson threw for. But the point of the matter here is that they tried this exact play against the Steelers with Lewis wide. The first time they did it against the Steelers was the second time they'd done it this season. The Steelers had a good advanced scouting. They clearly were prepared for it. Didn't fall for it the first time. I don't know why you're on the same play again five, five weeks later. I, do not, I, I cannot figure it out. And all of the other things we've said about moving back behind Jackson's plane to try and accept the lateral and then have a forward pass, and that could work for either of them, by the way. Lewis is also allowed to make a forward pass in that situation. He's allowed to accept a lateral. He is just not allowed to take a, uh, receive a forward pass. So there were things they could have done. Another possibility is throw the ball to Flacco and let Lewis get out in front to block. Well, they weren't set up for that either. Flacco was actually in front of Lewis and also in front of Jackson on the play. So nothing was set up for them to be confused by this at all. It ended up they did keep one guy over there. It was Cody Sensabaugh. He was opposite Flacco on the play, but it was two of ours for one of theirs in that particular case as far as running that play. Did happen to work. Lamar was elusive. He threw a 12 yard pass to Crabtree. Uh, caught it in traffic. The play ended up working. The fake didn't end up working. Didn't end up accomplishing anything by having Lewis split wide. Right.
4: Um- yeah, you mentioned earlier about how the game seemed to slow down with the, the Steelers talking to the refs ahead of the game saying, hey, when they line up new things, we, we need time to substitute. Mm-hmm. And it, made me, it reminded me that the Ravens on the last game with the Steelers, they did some of these weird formations and they tricked the Steelers with Max Williams lined up in the middle. That's right, and, and so that made me wonder if if they went to the refs and say, "Hey, they they tricked us last time. Give us give us some time to to see what's going it, on this time." It, it, cer- it certainly would which,
1: not surprise me, which and that makes it harder
4: know, to do it again.
1: It it does, and and they they were uh, I think they were granted every single extended privilege in terms of slowing the game down for substitution for the Steelers. I've never seen it. Uh, officiated in this manner, where the delays were as significant as they were.
4: All right. Uh, well, let's get on to another formation where we saw Flacco finally set up a little bit back with Jackson having the ball. Okay. Right. So, so we talked about this a lot in the past. Is
1: is that Flacco, when at the line of scrimmage, which he normally is uh, on any of the Jackson plays really does not do anything for the Ravens. He he had been standing there and not doing anything. And (laughs) I've heard all sorts of, I've heard all kinds of crap about how if he moves, he can be hit. He's being coached not to do that. Well, I don't doubt that that's actually true that he's being coached to do that. I just think it's, it's bad coaching. Right. Um, The the, the best thing to do is to move Flacco back as they did in this game several times. Um, But, but the one, you know, there's one highlighted on the website. I don't have the quarter-time reference in front of me, but take a look out there, and you'll see Flacco actually moves back several yards and prepares to accept a lateral from Jackson. Didn't mean it was coming, but what that does is that freezes the guy opposite Flacco and makes it much harder for him to get involved in the play. I personally believe it's probably in the playbook for him to accept the lateral and then make a forward pass. It certainly was when he did it at Houston in 2008. So uh, during the Harbaugh era, that play has been run. I really believe there's no reason why that play should not be run again at some point. And uh, you know, Lamar Jackson might end up being the eligible receiver on that play. By the way, that he would he,
4: it would be a good choice yes. for him to, to to get him out of the backfield. Make it makes sense. Um, all right, how about this more unbalanced play? Let me let me. I want to go back a second. Yeah, yeah. I. I we're seeing
1: this happen for the first time in week 9. Him set up to take a lateral. Right. It's I a just strange. I I can't tell you how I mean they've already they've probably had what 30 plays where and and I'm I'm might be slightly wrong on the number here, but it's not by a lot. They probably had 30 plays with Flacco wide and Jackson somehow right. in the shotgun. Or Flacco's just wasting
4: a, wasting and a position.
1: He's he's wasting a position and he's wasting the ability to freeze an opposing defender. It just it's frustrating as hell. We talk about people having to account for Lamar Jackson. Make them account for Joe Flacco. Damn it, he's on the field. He has a chance to back up and 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 create some problem for the defense and allow Jackson to make a play. This is not on Flacco. This is on the Ravens' coaching, it's on Morningweg, and it's it's probably on Harbaugh as well, in terms of not making sure that that was part of the offense going forward. And I don't, for a second, I don't, for a second, believe this Flacco might get hit if he backs up in the in the right. backfield stuff.
4: Who 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 cares? It's mm-hmm.
1: it's you got two quarterbacks, use them. Well, I mean, if 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 it was ever threatened, if it was ever done, I, I don't I don't know. What might happen But one of the possibilities Is our Jackson can just or Sorry Flacco Can just step out of bounds And then if he gets hit You, you probably get a penalty right. for it Because the quarterback Even when they're not Playing quarterback Is probably going to get Extra protection
4: uh, Maybe I don't know They The Ravens did get away With a big hit on Ben When he was running With the ball so, Yeah So I, I think I think they I think the refs As as Soft as they're treating Quarterbacks I think are at least Giving them some freedom When they're not playing The position of quarterback
1: Right, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that, but think about it for a second here. It's a little different. Ben had the football and he was being treated as a runner. Yes. Flacco would not have the football. He right. would not have the football. He'd be moving, but by the sideline, and and it, technically in that uh, situation, the defensive back is allowed to throw one hit within five yards of the line of scrimmage. That's that's what constitutes okay. not defensive holding. Okay. But
4: he but if he if he uh, yeah if uh, it's a cheap shot yeah sure. I mean they're they're gonna flag him. Gotcha. flagging for that um, all right well let's then let's move on to the unbalanced play right so so they're, they're doing a little more of this but they'
1: they're really doing less than they did before so uh, you know it's they, they did it three times in this game it's not an extraordinary amount it was actually three consecutive plays on the very first drive where they went unbalanced right and they moved a Luminor over to the right side the first play was a run for 10 yards uh, with Jackson in and Jackson uh, stayed in. And they ran the ball for minus three, and then the uh, uh, let's see Jackson was not stay did not stay in, but the defense was off sides on the third play. So not a terrible sequence of plays or anything, decent enough in terms of of uh, creating some opportunity. When they're doing that, they're trying to cover up alignment and make it a little easier for them to block. Now they're exposing Lewis on the left side when they do it because they have to treat him like a tackle effectively. But they're they're covering up Brown with Aluminor, which you know earlier in the season I would have never guessed that would be the case. But you know Aluminor's play has been pretty darn good these last two weeks. So you, you look at it and you say, uh, you know, maybe that makes a little sense in terms of having Aluminor outside of Brown for a, as a pass blocker.
4: All right, um, 19 set blocks and seven chips. Right. So the set and chip blocks we count, um, uh,
1: to, be, to definitions that I'm using, a set block is when an eligible receiver stays in and blocks for the entirety of the play. So usually a tight end. It can also be a running back where they uh, you know, are blocking on the edge or, uh, or up the middle. It could be either. And, uh, and they stay in the entire play and never make an effort to go out for a pass. Chip blocks are typically thrown by a running back, but it can be a tight end as well where they um, uh, hit usually an edge rusher while they're already engaged, usually in the midsection. They can also do a chip block by simply uh, and then they subsequently go out for a pass. They can also do do it just with their hands. We've seen a lot of hands chip blocking this year so far from Buck Allen, uh, you know, just trying to set up the edge rusher better so the tackle has a square opportunity on him and then go out for a pass himself. The problem with chip blocks are while they help your tackles, they hurt the number of routes that your uh, running backs can run. So they have a limited uh, route tree they have getting out of there. Set blocks, of course, use the eligible receiver entirely. So you're playing with one less for each of those. Anyway, we saw 19 set blocks and seven chip blocks, as you mentioned. Uh, That's a more normal relationship between those two we'd been seeing um, many more sit ch- a chip blocks and a fewer set blocks in previous games and I, I think that um, you know the number of, of chip blocks probably had been holding back the ability of the running backs to make plays in space and, uh, and it was nice to see them get away from it a little bit. I can't say that it really turned into a lot of yards for the running backs in this game, but I think in general going with fewer chip blocks, And more set blocks probably going to help you in the long run.
4: Okay. All right. I can understand that. Uh, This is a little late in the uh, podcast for this normally. Normally we get to this early. But let's talk about Joe and ample time and space. Sir, Joe had uh, 39 dropbacks in the game. The 40th was
1: Lamar's. So uh, he had 17 of 39 ample time and space opportunities. That's 44% on the game. A little bit below average, probably, uh, or or right about there. Unfortunately, Joe didn't do well with either. With ATS, he averaged 6.8 yards per per dropback, and without, he averaged 3.5 net yards per dropback. And uh, in total, he's about 38 yards under his expectation. Now, he really started off the season doing very well, um, and he's still 40 yards ahead of his historic norms, but. In the last five games, he's been 106 yards short of expectation for his opportunity set. So, obviously, Joe's not playing great football right now. Um, he's not getting as much out of the opportunity set as he could be. He hasn't, you know, had a big spate of interceptions. He's still at 12 and six in terms of uh, uh, touchdowns, interceptions. But his passer rating's been dropping as uh, you know these last few weeks of poor use of the opportunity set has also been been falling short. So uh it's not in this case it was not that great an opportunity set to to start with. They did a lot of stunting, a lot of twisting, a lot of blitzing. They had they really wanted to target the interior of the Ravens line and see if they could hold up to the pass rush. And I think in this game they, they did found a find a weakness and exploited it some. We'll talk about that, but but they they did a lot of that and they they really had somebody Uh, that Flacco did not know for sure was coming on just about every single play.
4: Right. And, uh, I mean, it was no secret. We all knew going into this game the big question was the Ravens' offensive line.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Luminor was going to get his first start, so we're very concerned about that. And, and, uh, uh, you know, Brown... Holding up on the right side against a, another tier, a pass rusher, obviously, and and then Lewis returning, and and Lewis had has had mixed results early in the season, but he was coming off a couple of B's before the injury, so it looked like you know maybe oh. this was a chance to upgrade the position. And wow.
4: right, well, let's let's dig into that line a little bit, and let's start with Illuminor, who uh, whatever six weeks ago we would have never guessed Illuminor started. Any game this season, let alone getting his first start against the Steelers at left tackle. Yeah, yes, I mean, o- Eliminor has
1: been—you know—is a guy that I think of as a guard and only a guard. Um, or, or certainly, that's what I thought of before these last couple of games. But he's actually—he's really played pretty well during these first few games and held up well. Um, this game uh, is not like the game was not without warts. He had two pretty significant penalties: uh, a hold and a false start. Uh, they were in a, in a fairly short sequence, as I recall, and no that's not yes, that is correct within, within uh, three plays of each other. And, and so that helped stall one drive. but uh, other than those penalties, he really did very well. He only had uh, one half pressure otherwise as, I, as I've got it. and uh, he scored 0.75 per play, which is uh, way higher than the replacement level. Let me just say that. At, at right tackle, the replacement level would probably be around 0.60. Uh, so he's well, well above that. Uh, he earned a C on the game, and it, when you look at his last two games now, he had 75 snaps at left tackle, and he's got an aggregate raw score of 0.80. So, so adjusted, that'd be a very solid B uh, for these, uh, you know, game and a third that he's played so far. So, nothing. I don't have anything to say but good things about Illuminor. One thing I do want to point people to the website for is a look at a very complex sack that occurred. Um, it's probably the most complex sack of the entire year in terms of how the um, responsibility for it needs to be charged out. And I'm not going to try and go it over and on air because you really need the pictures and the GIFs to kind of understand exactly what was going on and how it had to be scored. Uh, but it, it shows something up. And one of the interesting things was that PFF gave that entire sack to Buck Allen. Uh, but, the, but I really think that uh, the two guys who were most responsible for it were probably Yonda and Brown on the right side who allowed a pocket to be compressed and forced Joe to turn around to his left. Now, any, anybody who's watched Joe play knows Joe turning to his left is a very, very bad thing. He's, he's one of the worst quarterbacks moving to his left. No right-handed quarterback is really good at it, but some of them are better than others, and Joe has just uh, not got the feet to, to be able to readjust himself and reset the reset the pocket when he's moving to his left. So uh, th- that was that was one place where I thought that, that those two were responsible. It was really clean-up pressure from Vince Williams, which was serious, and and, and Buck Allen missed his block. But uh, but it's something that I'd like you to go in, try and try and understand where I'm scoring this on a gift. But if anything should ever tell you that you need to meet out responsibility for uh, pass rush events, this play should do it for you because it's, it was really clear. And it's interesting on Illuminor's case because he actually – Took Bud Dupree around the pocket to six o'clock, pancaked him on the ground there, and had him there at about three and a half seconds. And then Dupree was still able to get up and make the get in on part of the sack at about the five second point. So a very kind of a slow cleanup sack. Luminor did his job on the play, but he kind of failed in a secondary effort uh, to to keep his guy down. He didn't didn't stay. Maybe there was something more he could have done. Like, is all I'll I'll say about it. So it's it's one of these strange plays where a lot of people want to blame the sack on Illuminor because he let his guy get up, but honestly, he did a very good job on that play.
4: All right, uh, Lewis was back this week, which was exciting because if he wasn't back, I don't know who would have filled in his slot. Right.
1: Uh, I mean, it's it's now a crowded position in terms of of people who would like to play there. Hurst was out this week, but Bozeman was there and he could he could have gotten the start.
4: Okay, played Boseman's pretty well in his around. one
1: opportunity sure. there. Grassou is still around. I don't think anybody wants to see him anywhere on the line, frankly, the rest of the year. But he's, he is uh, still around until, uh, until they decide they don't need him anymore. Uh, Lewis uh, was bold by Hayward. He really had a hard time with Hayward generally in the game. But uh, he did give up the sack on the final drive by flushing Flacco to the left. And another case where it wasn't actually Hayward who got the sack, but Hayward got the flush that pushed Flacco, got Flacco running left. And once Flacco's running left, like we said, it's pretty much all over. And two, it chased him down. The play would have been at least a quarterback hit, but it, but it really, uh, the entire sack is, is Lewis's responsibility in terms of, of him allowing the pocket, the, the pocket to be flushed. He also gave a quarterback hit, a pressure uh, also to Hayward and had a false start and an offensive holding. So it was really quite a bad game for him. Uh, 0.52 per play, uh, which is which is quite low. And even with adjustment, that's an F at guard. Um, if you charge that sack as just a quarterback hit, he would have been just short, 0. 0.03 short of a passing grade, but still would have had an F in this game. So I think right now if i had to guess where the ravens might make a change after the after the buy i think you, we might see somebody else at left guard um it's not a sure thing but if hurst is back and healthy that might be a spot where we'd see him and if it's possible even that bozeman would would get a chance at the job as well
4: all right um speaking of jobs nine weeks and Skura is still holding on to that center position yeah, a lot of us
1: uh, had him replaced uh, at the beginning of the year. I mean, there's talk all over the boards about just moving Lewis to center and, and, and getting him there. Now, uh, I think that one of the things that has worked nicely is that, at, in aggregate, the line has been a pretty good pass-blocking line, which is probably a feather in Skura's cap and, and in terms of keeping the line calls uh, together, and I'm assuming he's making them and not Yanda. But uh, in this game... He had he was put in some unbelievably bad positions by the scheme the Ravens ran. There's one that's really been called out by Baldinger, and he's he's right in terms of having Lewis pull on a pass play, which means he vacates that that spot at left guard between Skura and uh, not Stanley, but between Skura and Alumnor. And what that what that meant is Skura had to make a what's called a reach block or a a block to move into the spot. Where Lewis would have been, and uh, where where Hayward was lined up, that was just was very very difficult. Um, I guess they could have called timeout or changed the line call at the at the line of scrimmage, but uh, whatever the case, he he allowed the pressure to occur. If you do subscribe to the notion that he has the right to change the line call, then you can still blame it on Scura. But but it was a very tough assignment for him, and it was one of the things that held down his score. Scura a C after adjustment in this game, but uh, again, I think he could have. Uh, scored better if the Ravens had not really depended upon him for a lot of scheme in this game.
4: All right. Uh, Yanda's been our Mr. Reliable on the line. Yeah. I had his
1: worst game of the season in this one, but his, his worst game of the year was only a B minus. So when that's the case, you you kind of put up with it and you'll live with the, what goes on. Um, he did allow a partial sack on the complex play. Take a look at it. I've I've detailed why I think he deserves a third of it. Um, He surrendered a full pressure when he failed to pick up a blitz. That's very Anyanda-like, but it did happen in this game. It was a a somewhat tough pickup on Bostic uh, in quarter three, but he still allowed that. And uh, two other shared pressure charges, both of those came on failed stunt and twist pickups, uh, one of them involving Brown, where Brown didn't do a whole lot on the play. So, uh, you know... Some various problems, but uh, but he, he has converted as many blocks as any Ravens lineman certainly this year. Uh, converted a much higher percentage of the, than anybody else, and uh, this this game was just his worst of the year with a B minus.
4: All right, um, how about Orlando Brown? Is this his game to prove that he's a starter? Well, you know what there has been so much lauding of Orlando Brown's
1: performance from this game. It's going to be hard for me to convince you that I think this was just another game in the same, along the same line as these last two. Now there's nothing wrong with the way Orlando Brown is playing. I think there are indications that he, he has more to offer certainly than what his grade level has been so far, but he's still making some mistakes in this game. He had a holding flag. Um, he, he, Body slammed Watt to the ground and and got that. And it was just the very next play, in fact, that he picked up a third of the sack. Now, play, that, that play has been shown over and over again as Orlando Brown taking care of T.J. Watt again and flattening him on a pass play. But what actually happened was Orlando Brown allowed Watt to bull him into a point where Flacco had the, phone, had the pocket phone booth and had to turn his back to the right side. So he had to turn left, turn his back to the right side. And Watt took a swipe at Flacco to try and get the ball loose. And Brown used that opportunity to flatten him. That's a nice recovery by Orlando Brown, but it's not really accomplishing its job on that play. It's still a pressure allowed, or effectively, what is it? Would is a similar scoring to a pressure? So, you know, there there were there were things about it that were good, but uh, you know, there there were there other parts about his performance that were not so good. He missed six blocks in this game. Now, one of those he didn't get out of his stance on time, but Yando was also laid out of his stance. So, I wonder if there might have been a snap count issue. Uh, Another one, he missed a block in level two. No problem happens all the time to tackles. And it's something where if you're on the backside of a run play, I completely understand. And those are the low cost missed blocks, but he did have three times where he missed a block. That was a case of him uh, not being able to hold his ground or getting beaten to the outside on a pass play. And in those cases um, those would have been worse if Flacco hadn't gotten the ball out quickly. So decent game by Brown, no problem, but it's a, it's his third straight C at the position I think that's good for a rookie. I'm happy. I think he, he, he'll, he is on you know, reasonable track to, to be a, a, a very solid offensive lineman in this league. I just – I don't see what PFF is seeing so far about uh, you know him having a really great game in this one.
4: Gotcha. Um, all right. What's up with our running game? Is it the line spot? Is it our backs? Why is it that we haven't really been able to get anything going on the ground? Yeah, it,
1: it's a combination of things. First of all, our yards per carrier are, are low, the, the Ravens yards per carry. I always say are or we, but the Ravens yards per carry are, are fairly low. They're in the, the three and a half range. And the problem there is not really the line as much as it is not taking advantage of the level two opportunities they have gotten. So. This year the longest Ravens run has been twenty two yards. Okay, well, some of that is not getting into level two at all. And some of it is when you get into level two not breaking some extra tackles and having a, you know, an extra sixty or seventy yard run in there. Like you, you know, like you might at least have one of those and maybe one of thirty-five or forty yards as well. Right. That would bring your, your total average on yards per play up into the, that that expected four yards per carry range. So I, I think that's part of the problem is we haven't had enough really big plays yet. Um, as much as it's been a the line is not getting enough yards before first contact which has also been a problem but the the Ravens have a a line of some mixed talents it's a pretty good pass blocking line it's not and, and, and a lot of that is technical it's footwork related and it's not having the road graders on the field for much of the year Hurst in particular for Brown is a big upgrade in road grading um, uh, having a luminor on the field should give them some additional road grading. the Stanley's Stanley's not bad in that regard, um, but the line is 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 not one that is really made to to grade the road. It's one that's that's made to control position relative to the opponent and relative to keeping the the pass rusher off the quarterback. And uh, you know, uh, I. You know, just say that's that's really part of the problem. So it's part running backs, and, yeah, it's part of the line, too, in terms of not allowing, uh, not giving the running backs enough yards before contact.
4: Gotcha. All right, let's get to the mailbag. This is now where uh, you, the listener, get to get in your questions and ask Ken uh, anything you want about the Ravens. You can get them in on Twitter using the hashtag film study mailbag. Ken, first one up here is from Jalen. What should or can the Ravens do to utilize Brown more and use, utilize his speed to get the big play for us? Um, well, that's a good
1: question. Um, a lot of using John Brown is like going to come in two forms. One is you either have to wait for routes to develop slowly that will give Brown more downfield opportunities. So if you want to see... 20 to 12, or 18 to 25 yard passes to to Brown, where it's a deeper cross. Uh, you know, you can take advantage of the fact that most teams are rushing for against the Ravens. I think we'll we'll see a lot of that continue and try and, uh, you know, it, it will should create opportunities where the Ravens it, it can get the ball to Brown over the middle of the field, kind of late. Um, right now, they're not doing nearly as much of that. Uh, you know, we saw the very first game. You know, It's not exactly this kind of play, but it is the kind of play in another way. Against Buffalo, Buffalo, very first drive, it was about a second and 20 or something. Flacco rolled to the right, and then he looked all the way back to the left side of the field, threw to a spot where he knew Brown would be, and hit him open by five yards. And it was one of these things where Brown lost the guy in the break, and they obviously had enough of a connection, even in game one, to try that thing. We have not seen much of that since, in terms of you know, a, a throwing to a spot for Brown, or, or the 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 willingness to try and extend a play to try and take advantage of what Brown can do. So I think in order to do that, Flacco is the Ravens are going to have to scheme for ways to Flacco for for Flacco to have more time in the pocket.
4: All right, makes sense to me. Um, what about the tight ends? Next question up is Andrew seems to have potential as a very good pass catching tight end. Why doesn't Flacco utilize his tight ends more? Yeah, I, I, that's a hard question to answer because it,
1: one of the easy routes that seems to be something the Ravens could do pretty regularly is running that tight end in the seam, and you have ways to get people f- free. You can, in fact, use John Brown as a decoy in in that respect to draw off defenders from there, particularly a deep safety. And and make sure that he's not um, uh, you know that, that uh, the tight end has every opportunity to catch a ball deep in the seam. When they've done it, they've been very successful. They haven't run it just to the tight end. They ran it to Chris Moore this last week. They did run one to Hurst as well this last week. They've run probably four or five times so far this year already to Andrews. Um, I would love to see more of that. I would love to see more of what we saw when on the third and nine play against the Steelers, where Andrews picked up twenty yards. Um, I'd love to see more of both. Hurst and Andrews try and you and, and for that matter all the tight ends use their body uh to to get a better opportunity to catch the football um tight ends are the strength of this team receiving wise it's not these wide receivers the wide receivers are okay the tight ends are what are what are really the strength of the team and it would be nice to see them use those more all right
4: um mig gets in with what is the value of rg3 right now for the team
1: uh, nothing that I can see, honestly. I think you know if if you really need the roster spot, you probably have to think about letting him go. We're, we're far enough into the season. I think you get through it with Jackson. If there's an injury to Flacco, it's not like the, the the playoffs are on the line. Really, at this point, there's not get putting RG3. Let's put it this way: putting RG3 in for Flacco. Is not going to fix your situation with the playoffs. It might be that Flacco can bring the Ravens back to a playoff to a playoff spot, but putting RG three for in for Flacco isn't going to get it done. So, I, in terms of what he does for the for the Ravens right now, I would agree it's it's not much. Uh, it's unfortunate for for Griffin because it's a year lost. I'm, I'm sure it's a year he would have liked to have get some playing time and reestablish his NFL career at age 28, but uh, it's not the way it worked out. And you know he'll he'll be probably somewhere else next season
4: right and that's as a as a player you've got to think that there must be some value for him as a mentor and uh player coach to Lamar Jackson
1: yeah very, very good point and and I
4: I think you know one of the things you, you really
1: pick up from Griffin when you hear him speak at the podium is he's just one of the most mature human beings and intelligent that you'll you'd ever care to meet that plays football I mean he's just uh really is well centered in life, uh kind of Ben Watson like in his ability to um uh you know just be very centered and whatnot. In particular giving advice to Jackson about not taking hits is something that Griffin certainly has experience with. And uh yeah absolutely true that he's and, a great mentor. And
4: you say he's probably somewhere else next year. I don't know if that's the case because if the Ravens do choose to go all in on Lamar next year RG3 might be the guy to say, all right, here, you're the veteran backup on the sideline in case Lamar goes down and also continue this mentorship.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, not, it's not impossible. I just – I feel like Jacks or sorry, Griffin is going to want to go somewhere and play. where he has an opportunity to reestablish his career because the clock is ticking
4: for him. Right, right. But that clock may have already passed.
1: And if if that's the case, if there's no interest from other teams, I think you know a backup job with the Ravens certainly would right. would have appeal. And
4: there, there's uh, there's worse places to be a backup. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's close it out with Connor, who is going. I understand the season isn't over yet and cuts haven't been made. But if you had to pinpoint it today, what would you say are the team's three biggest needs in free agency and draft? Okay. Um.
1: I'm I'm going to start and say that I think i would take a playmaker basically anywhere on defense that i think the ravens need to figure that out but there are certain positions sense. there are certain positions on defense where you can't get a playmaker outside the first round so i think if, if you're really talking about a playmaking safety I think you got to get him in round one. You know, it was Derwin James this year, but I'm not going to harp on that anymore. Other than I just did, you've
4: You've only mentioned it the past six episodes.
1: Yes, yes, that's that's right. And and I think you know, Baltimore fans understand that. But but anyway, there may be a great safety in this next draft, and whatever great safety it is, will probably be drafted in the first round. And it just seems like we know more who the great safeties are coming out of college than we ever had in the last five to ten years, and it's those skills seem to be developed earlier. Uh, You know, safeties have maybe more of an opportunity to gamble at the, at the college level and you see what they could do. And um, that's, I think that's the place where you get that playmaker Um, edge rusher, another possibility inside linebacker. That'd be fine as well. Uh, I would caveat that, that I wouldn't be crazy about drafting an inside linebacker if they sign Mosley to a big deal. So I think you really want to you kind of want to make that decision before you go inside linebacker in the draft. I'd be fine if they went for a three or five tech, you know, a, a really disruptive pass rusher. You see an Aaron Donald, that are available in the first round. Of course, you know, if you knew he was Aaron Donald, you'd take him anyway, no matter, you know, where you were drafting, even number one. But you, you, uh, you certainly, if you, if you can find that disruptive three or five tech uh, from the inside, I think that'd be very valuable. The Ravens likely will lose Adarius Smith, but even if it kept him. I think you know having uh, you know a, that extra disruptive three or five tech would be terrific. Um, a cornerback is a possibility at number one. I know a lot of people say, well, what are you talking about? We've got all these cornerbacks. Well, you know they're talking about releasing Carr and Smith. That would leave them with Humphrey and Averitt as starters. And I, even though Kennedy is a is a viable backup, I think having another corner in the in the uh, the first round would not be something I'd say definitely no to. O- on offense, I think other needs that they would have they they could use a tackle. Uh, to be certain, um, and and uh, you know, in this case, I'd say they try to not make that a first round um, need if they could because they can accept a tackle slash swingman, but they can't. You need another guy who can play tackle for sure uh, on, on the roster. Um, they could they could go at center and try and find their next center in the draft. Again, I think that'd be a second or third round pick. I don't think it's a one. Um, they certainly could take a running back. I would hope that is a second or
4: third round pick because first round running backs. I don't have a, I, I don't have a great feeling about, um, uh, right. That was think- my, that was my question for you was running back. Cause it seems mm-hmm. like we haven't had a Jamal Lewis, Ray Rice, a playmaking running back in a long time. we keep trying to make it work, but nothing's nothing's clicked. Right. I,
1: I mean, I think they actually probably did have it last year with Collins, but you're, you're right. They haven't had one who's, who's been consistent year to year since ray rice and and that's uh, obviously put them in a bad spot uh you know the running game honestly in today's nfl is less important than it's ever been so you, you got to be honest right. about that that's so the, the guy you want has to be able to catch the football and that limits your choices in terms of the natural catchers and whatnot who were who are there the, the snatch hands that,
4: that's a good point especially if we're going in a direction where the quarterback's gonna run the ball there you go so yeah, yeah that's a good point good point um all right, Ken. Uh, let's plug Russell Street Report. We want people sure. going over there. You mentioned earlier that you've got this broken up with gifs and pictures and everything, where it makes a whole lot more sense sometimes to walk through a certain place. Yeah, that
1: that's right. And I, you know, I, my article said my, my, my column has been called film study. I mean, I I am more of a modeler than a true film guy, but I'm watching the same film you are. I'm looking at things to see that, but uh, but. You know, my specialty is really collecting data, but I, I, I know people want to see pictures to have plays explained, and I'm doing more of that now. And particularly this case with the offensive line article, there's a good one out there I'd like you to try and take a look at. Um, uh, other than that, I've got the normal stuff up there. The defensive article is still there. Next week, we'll be doing two podcasts, one on the offense, one on the defense, in terms of the uh, categorization of players and what the Ravens have to look forward to in 2019 and beyond with their current roster. And uh, that might have been the better time for that other question, but still a good one. And uh, what else we have uh, to talk about? How about so, Birdland Sports? The yeah, website.
4: I want to talk about Birdland Sports because, you know, that's where we host Film Study Ravens. That's my uh, baby is Birdland Sports and a chance for me to help out other podcasts and help with this amateur sports talk for Baltimore Get Out There. And we've been having lots of trouble with our feed over the past few weeks. So we tore it up and rewrote Birdland Sports completely. New servers, new design, new everything, and I'm really excited about it. If you go on over to birdlandsports.com and click on Film Study, the latest episode immediately starts playing. And if you're not that type of person who just wants to play from the website, if you click on the show name, you then have a nice big black or purple uh, download button. So it's, okay, it's, now I'm
1: going to do that right now while we're, while yeah, we're doing this.
4: Yeah. So I'm going to go over to Birdland Sports and... And while you, while you go ahead and do that, I'm going to say the other feature that I'm really excited about on the Film Study page. And that's on the right-hand side. If you go to uh, Birdland Sports or, uh, slash Film Study Ravens, which takes you straight to Film Study, or if you just go and click on the Film Study logo or hit the menu button and click on Film Study, on the right-hand side is a big... Film study mailbag label with two slots, your name and your question. You can get your questions in that way for those of you who are not using Twitter. makes it really nice and easy. Okay, I'm
1: seeing the film study mailbag over here. Now, if I click on the episode up, I better turn that off, right?
4: Yeah, it's going to start playing immediately. But if you you click on where it says week nine defense evaluation, it'll open up a new page and you'll see a black download button
1: there you go i did
4: i saw the black download button and we don't have we don't have a subscribe button there uh no we do not have a subscribe button yet that will be coming on that front page this very page is growing fast i've been working on it every day i got it to the point that i thought we needed to launch it and uh we're at that point but every day something new is going to be showing up on this page
1: well, great job, Josh. It really looks nice, and, and uh, it's, a, it's a great mission to try and get uh, a lot of uh, new podcasters started and new analysts started in this way. It's a, a, a cool thing to do.
4: All right. Now, I want to get to, I want to talk about our podcast schedule for the bye week, how we'll be spending the bye week, but I'm going to do something a little different. I want to sneak in one more mailbag question because one just came in, and this is a fun one. So, this is from Jay. I was listening to a national sports talk show on Monday. Uh, they were having a discussion on the Chargers kicking woes. The host said he would call the Ravens and offer a first round pick for Tucker. If you were the Ravens, what would be your asking price for Tucker? Okay, well,
1: first of all, the trade deadline has passed, so right. this is kind of a, a moot point. If if this offer was made during the off season, Tucker, for a first round pick, I think then you've you've gotta you gotta kinda look at it and make a decision. Tucker yeah. signed for a while yet. There was signing bonus involved, there's some proration of that, but Tucker is, is of greater value than his contract number. I'm convinced of that. So it's, it, you know, I, I can't say I'm, I'm really jumping on a first-round pick for Tucker, especially from the Chargers. Well, it kind of depends round.
4: how high that first-round pick is. Mm-hmm. Because, sure, you're, you never, you're not going to take a kicker on the first round, so you look at that and first glance is that's really high for a kicker. But Tucker is a pretty special kicker.
1: He is a very, very special kicker indeed. In fact, the Saints, I think, spent the number two or three overall pick on Russell Erksleben, who was a kicker punter in the in the seventies or early eighties. I've, I've got to look back to see the see the exact time, but a first round pick has been used on a kicker before. Okay. So, uh, uh, some crazy stuff. I, I I don't have an answer for you, but fortunately, we don't have to make the decision right now because the uh, trade deadline has passed.
4: Of course. All right. So next week. right uh... This is our last podcast for this week, so we get to take the rest of the week off, just like the Ravens. Get back to work next week. What's our schedule upcoming?
1: So we got we have an offensive and defensive roster evaluation show. Uh, we're planning to have some guests on uh, a couple guys that are that are well known in the in the Baltimore area and message boards and uh, Twitter, and uh, hopefully uh, that'll work out and we'll be able to get them on. But we don't like to jinx the guests by calling them out in advance.
4: All right. So basically, you're saying. We'll still have content next week, even with the buy. There you go. All right, Ken. Well, this has been fun. Enjoy a few days off before our next episode, and we'll talk again then. Take it easy. Take it easy.